the Protect Your Neck Podcast, UFC Vegas 20 Breakdown. Picks, plays, and whatever else comes our way. Let's go to work. Hot air hangs like a dead man from a white oak tree. People sitting on porches thinking how things used to be. Dark night. It's a dark night. What is up, my friends? This is the Protect Your Neck Podcast, and I'm your host, Dan Tom. Analysts work you can find over at MMAJunkie.com. But on this year's program, the Protect Your Neck Podcast, we break down high-level MMA, and that's what we're going to do here today, tonight. Whenever you're listening to this, hopefully it's before the fight. I'm recording this on Friday morning during the weigh-ins here in Las Vegas time, where USC Vegas 20 is going down, and where I... Have my butt plopped down as per the use uh, as a lost wages uh, resident. Um, there was some lost wages uh, last weekend. We'll get to that in the UFC Vegas 19 recap. Check the timestamp for when we start. This will be an expedited edition. The UFC Vegas 20 breakdown from top to bottom. And as per usual on these breakdown shows, you can always skip to the very end where I recap my picks and plays there uh, for yeah, uh, here 2-4. Um, so we're going to go ahead and get through things with some quick notes off the top, quick shouts, and uh, yeah, line movement news. It's the last week of content at line movement. And it hit fast. Um, it kind of creeped up, and there was just kind of a lot going on behind the scenes in general. Uh, so if you kind of you know heard me being cryptic in past weeks or... You know, if I showed to not care about, you know, random uh, media drama, or at least to me, it's just most most of it. No offense, I just I don't care. Um, I just, I really had no time for it, you know. Um, hence, this being a strange space, uh, you know, and, and bigger things to worry about. That being said, it's, it's not the end of the world. It's nobody's fault. It was a decision from well overhead. We did really well. We actually did way better than we had any business doing as far as like what we were doing and all those things and what we reached and so on and so forth like we actually did good and i'm very proud of the people there at line movement and the work we put out they stepped up the games of me uh dan levy and even uh, james lynch as far as video audio all that stuff so um you gotta thank them for that and uh yeah man i'm not much of a comment reader but it seemed like we were having some uh, regulars there in the betting show with me and Dan, which was always great. Of course, Dan's been in this space forever. Um, shout out to Half the Battle and Shaq, uh, him and Shaq show over there. One of the, uh, some of the most consistent grinders in the game, man. You know, uh, I know it's like a volatile space and this and that and you know and 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 whatnot. But yeah, I can tell you, man. I know, I know. Um, you know, Dan's very, you know, very, you know. Very, very confident as he should be. He's got his style and all that, but like, trust me, he's 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 good people as as well behind the scenes. It's not just uh, some show, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. So go support his show is what I'm trying to say here, because uh, he is good people. Obviously, uh, you guys know James Lynch as well. You guys know that I think very highly of James Lynch, whether I'm working with him or not. So no difference there as well. Um, as I've said, when I'm not working with James Lynch or when I am, go support his stuff. And, you know, especially like times like now, you know, um, whether I think he just launched a Patreon, I shared that for James, like, vote with your dollars, folks. Like, I appreciate y'all, like, giving me nice messages, but I'm, I'm, I'll be, uh, you know, I'll be okay. I've got plenty of irons in the fire. Uh, plenty, plenty of things keep me busy personally and uh, personally, especially, uh, and even professionally, right? Um, thankfully, you know, which, you know, could change on the drop of a dime. You never know, right? That's the crazy thing about this space. So you got to be grateful. But yes, I'm super grateful and I'm okay. I've got... My main gig still at Junkie. You're still going to get my analysis here via the Protecting Neck podcast. So um, outside of obviously not my betting article and the betting show I did with Dan Levy that like it's going to be pretty much business as usual here. So don't don't fret too much. I appreciate your guys' kind messages and shares. Like y'all are acting like, uh, you know, I, I'm asking for these things and I, you know, begging on the food line. No, I'm just kidding. No, uh, that's obviously not my style. So like when people actually share or speak up or say nice words about me, it's kind of weird, but it, it's super, it, it's, it's very endearing. So thank you. 
um, you know, seriously, thank you all. Uh, thank you all for that. Um, it, but uh, I, I will just pay it forward and, and just say go and support, um, you know, my other uh, colleagues there from Line Movement, man. Um, uh, you know, um, just, uh, but yeah, I appreciate your support, though. Don't get me wrong. Thank you, guys. Thank you, guys. And I'm going to skip Amazon reads, but if you do want to support the show, hey, there's an opportune time to plug yourself. No, Jesus Christ. But if you do want to support the show, which is free, and, and I do intend on keeping free, um, yeah, uh, mixedmarshallanalyst.com is what hosts it. And, and there you'll find an Amazon click through banner and an on it click through banner. Uh, I know, given the corporations, especially the um, Amazons of the world, not too great for the conscious, but uh, if you click through that link, it's just one extra click. You do whatever you know deeds you got to do on the Amazon, and for no extra cost, a small percentage of your sale gets kicked back to this here podcast, which means you support the podcast, you support it monetarily, you support it without spending any money monetarily. Ease up a bit on your conscience for using the old corporations there. So, uh, you know, make everybody a winner in that sense, and uh, go ahead and click through. And if you're feeling extra generous, yes, there is a a PayPal uh, link. I don't even know my PayPal address, so like, I'm, I'm not going to find the time to plug it now because I already uh, hate plugging as much as I'm doing right now. It's just not my thing. But something we need to do, you know. Like I don't hate hate on people with the, the Patreons. I support some Patreons myself. These things are very important. I'm just a very poor businessman. And uh, I'm going to use the extra free time to get things done like graphics and getting uploaded to all the other platforms that I've been promising you guys here for years. So thinking positively and going to use the time constructively and uh that's all i got to say on that so um thank you guys for anybody who <coughs> oh excuse me uh supported that so uh yeah uh ufc we're gonna move on to ufc vegas 19 uh happened last week went eight and four overall oh and one in pile pieces four one and two in straight plays um, two cancellations there, as has been the case with every week, right? There was just a cancellation as I got on here and a wait miss, as the weigh-ins are still officially going on as I record this. Um, so that's good. At least I won't waste your time with any uh, fights we don't really need to talk about, right? So I will try to keep this expedited. But, yeah, we are going to recap. Also, oh, yeah, I went 0-1 in my one prop as opposed to my 1-0 the week before. Um, it should have evened out to a break-even week, especially with, you know, getting the main event right. Derek Lewis defeating Curtis Blades, um, at least cashing that big dog ticket. But, however, as has been the case, my chalk has, has been really bad lately. I mean, chalk, I don't want to say my chalk because uh, they just released a stat. I don't have it on hand because I'm a bad podcaster. But, essentially, if you've been betting chalk in 2021, you've been doing very poorly um, because underdogs have been winning at an overwhelming rate not just uh last night or last weekend right so if your dog player like my man gorgeous george shout out to uh by the way uh patreons to support triple g show or just mma junkie radio show if you like the nostalgical voices that you grew up with <laughs> not to admit, okay, i don't want to make those guys sound old because they, they probably listen to this but I'm, i mean it is a compliment because uh Someone was just asking me about MMA Junkie the other day, and I was just kind of going back down memory lane. Now, yeah, Tag Radio, prior MMA Junkie Radio, they are the guys that uh, really helped get me into this, and I would not have those platforms without them, so um, give them a shout. But my man, Gorgeous George, there's a big underdog player. He likes to sprinkle on just, like, taking underdog shots. Like, he just loads up a clip, you know, like a gangster, kicks down the door, the 4-4, uh, and then he just kind of unloads and sees what he can hit. And, like, if you kind of did that kind of approach, you probably did pretty well um, with all the underdogs that have been hitting lately and last weekend. Um, although I, I can't feel too good about it, uh, I did do a couple of retweets, which, you know, I, I, I'm a really bad self-promoter. I probably should do more, but it's not really my style. However, you know, when the boss band and others are giving you props, you got to, you know, you got to show your appreciation, and God forbid, stop and smells of flowers. But... I can't really take credit. There were others, like my man Connor Rebush, who picked uh, Derek Lewis. And let's be honest, we all kind of, well, not we all, but we should know by now that Derek Lewis is the dude who kind of loses until he's not, right? So in that sense, um, I don't know if I could, you know, take credit for anything. And even if you were picking Blades or Lewis, I think you expected more wrestling. Um, or, you know, Derek Lewis not at, do so well, at least from defending the single leg, and he's, like, doing heavyweight BJ Penn, you know, stuff over there, which was really random. But, again, that's kind of the theme for this card, last card in 2021, folks. Got, grappling isn't real, whether you're a really good wrestler 
uh, Jiu-Jitsu person with Vieira, which we got reminded of this week. We'll get to that next. Uh, Jiu-Jitsu is dead, folks. Grappling is dead. It, it, it's fake. It's not real. It's a hoax. File it under Kung Fu now. <laughs> Play people. Uh, but, yeah, <laughs> it's not real. It's just, you know, Der- Derek Lewis is out here chucking single legs and hitting uppercuts from hell. Um, grappling is dead. And it sucks because... Uh, Speaking of which, Curtis Bladesman, that was a nasty knockout. And, again, just because I pick against these guys doesn't mean I'm like, ugh. Like, I'll get to my bias in the next fight, but, you know, you know me. Even if I, I win a cash a ticket, I'm, I'm, you know, one of the first people tweeting, man, I hope so-and-so is okay, as I did the same here because Curtis was out, and Curtis is a good dude. I like him a lot. Um, I like his team. I like his style. I didn't like my pick. And, uh... Uh, looks like someone's going to weigh in. Uh, but, yeah, sorry about that. Uh, you hear you hear Anik in the background. But, yeah, so hopefully Curtis Blade's all right. And next fight, I did have bias. And I will state that in the beginning because, you know, biases aren't, stating enough, aren't stated enough, uh, and we all have them. Um, and this one is, by the way, first off, I was on Vieira. Apologies for anyone me off that cliff. I was wrong. Uh, live, even in the heat of things, I still didn't disagree with the scorecard. By the way, um, I suspected the judge could, could, could have, judges could have been swayed by the damage. So no issue with the scores. So again, folks, this is not the place for black and white talk. Uh, there's gray. There's nuance in life. So I address it as so. There's enough of my team versus your team. It's very ignorant. It's very low IQ, uh, and it's very oversaturated. So y'all can get that from many other places, right? Whether you like me or agree with me or not, God forbid we have a little bit of nuance backed with actual facts and discussion, right? Um, so let me just first state my biases and that I don't disagree, nor am I trying to argue the scorecards per se. But it's more of a couple things. It's one, the interpretation, and what I believe is, what do I always talk about? It's overcorrecting the steering wheel. We're all humans, we all do it. I think there's a lot of that going on with the scoring. It took forever, like my, it took you know forever with my man, like the Sean Sheehan's of the world. Uh, having to uh, scream at the top of his lungs to you know to to to, to for people to reread these revamp rules, um, but they've been revamped for a few years now, and even before then, they should have been. You could argue still should have been giving damage more credit. Okay, there's that, and then there's just bad analysis. There's bad analysis in fight. There's bad analysis post fight by pundits to professional fighters and former champions even alike, and. I like all these people. I like the booth. Uh, I love Bisping in the booth. He's one of my favorites. But Bisping has a bias towards strikers, and even Bisping admits that. He especially is good about admitting that when the play-by-play is good about calling him out on it playfully. But, again, not coming at the booth, but whether it was Bisping going off on his striker biases where he goes, oh, this wrestler's doing nothing. And it's almost like, you know, it's it's kind of fueled now that, you know, even though they don't do the best job, the DCs of the world and whatnot, they have made efforts to better understand these rules. So you tell a guy who already has that striker bias, like Bisping, that you know we're not counting wrestling as much and we're here to focus more on the damage. Um, of course, he's gonna you know fuel and let his bias fly, especially if it goes unchecked with it, which it did, and a lot of the biases did. Right? We didn't hear much about the Jared Gordon weight miss, despite. Even though Paul Felder wasn't on the call, I love Paul Felder not coming at him, but, you know, Paul Felder, not too long ago in his last fight, made a very big thing about making weight, right? Um, and, yeah, and, and you know, the commentators, like, I don't know if they really brought it up much, uh, more than, uh, at all. And, and I know they're usually good about doing that, even in a respectful way, right? So, you got to remember that. So, uh, but my main thing is that, you know, there is this, so I guess I'll just keep talking about the overcorrecting before I get to the technical part. Uh, so there's this overcorrecting of the steering wheel. We're seeing it from judges, commentators, and even people like, you know, I'm guilty of it too, by the way. I'm not throwing shade, but like the whole the space that I take part in, people within my space, right? We're all doing it. We're like, oh, well, there's damage to swayed because even in like researching a, like a female fight for this other card or any fight, and I don't be female fight, like it, that happened recently under these rules, so to speak, like, I've seen and we've seen fighters do more sustained and relevant damage than Yana did 
for that five to ten seconds that it was or whatever at the end of the round three that got her the round, right? Um, and we've still seen the fighter that's receiving the damage already be confident enough that they put in enough work by their metrics, standard metrics in general, that they're confident enough to raise their hand, get on their bike, survive, in other words, right? And how many times have we seen it? And then when the bell rings and they didn't get the finish, even if you were mad and biased and you were betting for the person that was having that late run, what do you do? You go, fuck. Why do you go fuck, right? Because because you know that it, it probably wasn't enough. It probably wasn't enough that this person, you know, and a lot of times they do it wrongly, right? And, and they then it's like, you, you deserve to lose, motherfucker, whether I bet on you or not. I'm not talking about that, right? I'm talking about most case scenarios. Like, how many times have we seen that? Going back to Golden Year UFC to more relevant since the rules have been revamped, right? How many times have we seen that? Um, so for people to act so surprised and, you know, like, oh, no, of course, well, of course you want damage over not. Blood, no blood. This is simple. Like, no, it's not that fucking simple. Like, there are people out there, like the Michael Chandlers of the world, who just, like, swell up and bleed, all, like, you know, or d dare the damage Elkins. You look at him and that guy starts bleeding. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's not exactly a fair context, you know? Um, a lot of that, the, you know, the, the cutting elbows cut her because she was already hematoming there. Well, why was she hematoming? Uh, it was because of the strikes earlier. Perhaps some of those strikes, too, but it wasn't the pitter-patter strikes that, for some reason, like... And that's another thing. We're overcorrecting the steering wheel and acting like people are acting so confident in MMA, which is silly. They're acting confident in MMA scoring, which is even sillier. And they're acting confident in shit that we've all been guilty of, like not just but fucking yesterday. So people pretending like they, they know how things are scored and it's so easy. Blood versus no blood. That's it. Burr, 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 burr. Like that's about as, you know, okay. All right. Surface level. All right. Um, like, you know, God forbid there's room for context. Like, I, I don't, I don't, I don't agree with that. Like, it has to be meaningful damage. And don't get me wrong, a lot of these people were con at least consistent when it came to, uh, the Phil, Haw what was it, the Phil Hawes, Hogs and, uh, Nasruddin and Mama fight. Because, and again, that was another fight where I was on Hawes. I had a big, uh, because of all these fights getting canceled, I actually laid some heavy chalk on Hawes. So I was super biased and invested. But if you look at my tweets, I'm actually giving Imamov more credit than most because of his damage. And Imamov had more sustained success than Kunitskaya. That's a fact. But everyone's like, well, Haas controlled the fight? Haas controlled the fight in the clinch. He didn't have dominant positions. You know what I'm saying? Like, and again, I'm not saying you need to think Imamov won either, but I'm just saying if you are, if you think, much less, are so confident, as I saw so many people being confident with their post-analysis on it that Kunitskaya won, you should be up in goddamn arms that Imamov, Imamov didn't win. Um, because, uh, what, because Imamov didn't, uh, didn't make him bleed as much, you know what I'm saying? Like, again, some guys don't show damage as much, you know what I'm saying? And, you know, uh, naturally, right? <laughs> but Imamov landed legitimate shots that had Phil Hawes wobble. Like, that's damage. Like, anybody can get cut, you know? And part of the reason why Kunitskaya cut her with, I believe, was really like three elbows. You know, three clean elbows of the shots that landed. And it cut her because she was already hematoma there. Now, there was a lot of grappling and head clashes, so it could have been from that. It definitely could have been credit to Kunitskaya, her prior strikes on the feet. But it certainly wasn't the pitter-patter on the ground. Like, people were out there, like, going, oh, yeah, but she was busier. And, and even the commentary were like, oh, but that's so annoying. I'm like, since when the fuck are we giving credit for that? Like, we're all acting like we're so goddamn evolved, like I was just saying a minute ago, with the with the understanding of the rule sets. Yet, we're fucking champing fucking Kunitskaya for getting dominated on the ground to the point where all she can do is punch. Like, remember when we were talking shit about Matt Mitrione and Brendan Schaub? for Matt Mitrione fucking punching instead of defending a choke. And that was Matt Mitrione and Brendan Schaub. That was heavyweight. That was over a decade ago. And we were still smart enough then to fucking laugh at that for grappling defense. But yet, from the commentary to everything after the fact on my timeline, oh, Kunitskaya, she was so active, she really wanted it. Now, if you're talking about elbows from the guard, I respect that, Tony Ferguson style, right? She wasn't doing that. She was getting her back taken and punching. Um, you know, so there was a lot of biases at play. There was a lot of overcorrecting the steering wheel. And this is a great example with my bias aside that 
again, I know grappling's dead. I just talked about that. But grappling gets an unfair shake. You know, we have all these metrics. First of all, um, she wasn't doing nothing, you know, from, from, and I love Bisping, but from Bisping's call to other people, she went for more than the armbar. She went for more than the rear naked choke. How did she go for the armbar? It's because she went to the back. How did she get to the back? It's because she got to the mount. How did she get to the mount? It's because she went for not one, but at least two head and arm chokes. I even tweeted live. That's no coincidence. Many Nova Unyao, Andre Pedaneros fighters, people train under that camp. From the Jan Cabrals to the Jose Aldos to Hakran Diaz, they go for head and arms to get the mount. And if they don't defend the head and arm, then they will take the head and arm. Okay, it's a it's a fucking brilliant setup. It's super high percentage, and it's more control based grappling. And I be, I agree. If anybody should have been striking more with pitter patter strikes, it should have been Ketlin. It probably would have helped her. I agree. That's a valid criticism, but you have to understand what you're seeing when you're playing the shoulder pressure game. It's hard to punch, and the shoulder pressure game plies into that head and arm setup, which allowed her four to five submission attempts. She had clear ground control for four plus minutes, about four and a half minutes of the fight. Okay, enough under conventional standards to think that justifiably think that she won the fight. But what was she trying to do? She was trying to get the judges out of there. Everyone's like, oh, Connor Squeeze, she's the one trying to finish. Look, blood versus no blood. Like, I don't know about that. Who really came closer to finishing? Yeah, she was over her. It looked bad, but who really came closer to finishing? It was those submission attempts. Uh, they weren't, you know, like the super close, like, you know, Masvar Evalev, Mike Grundy, where she's scrambling for her life. But. A lot of those were enough to get a catch in a in a jiu-jitsu match in a jiu-jitsu tournament, and I know this isn't a jiu-jitsu tournament, but it is mixed martial arts, folks. And I know grappling, you know, proven to not work in the semi-joking fashion of recent results. To it gets biased politically with the way matchmakers match up grapplers with grapplers. But even if you don't like me, disagree with me, uh, disagree with the points I'm trying to make, even though I'm not objecting the result. By the way, I'm talking about the clear hypocrisy, which is. We have multiple ways to score strike, and I'm going to blow through everything else fast, folks. This is just an important fucking message in this fight. It's a brilliant example. We have so many ways to score strikes. Total strikes, significant strikes, strikes thrown. We have all these stupid stats that sadly we count and act like the judges should count, even though they don't have access, nor should they count, nor should these stats really fucking count for shit. But we have all these fucking bullshit stats, right? We have all these things like, oh, counter or swinging hard or blood or knockdown or rocked or all the way to Diego Sanchez, how he won all his fights by swinging and fucking missing. But, but, but that's because from the commentary booth to the judges, sadly the people who count, they get swayed by that. Remember I was talking about the Barber Grasso, like Grasso initiates and punctuates the exchange, but what does the commentary talk about? Oh, Barber, big swinging. Right? And, that, and, like, and again, this is classic way Dan Tom loses the parlay piece, by the way. One fighter comes in, you know, fucking looking terrible, barely making weight, running out of gas. While the other fighter comes in fucking juicy looking to hell in the best shape of their life, right? Classic shit. And again, classic shit where the analysis goes on just like I say, but then the other person does something super athletic, right? And, uh, and, but yeah, it's like we have all these, you know, ways to score striking. And, how many ways do we have to score grappling? There's takedowns, which again are are, are now even you know, you know scored even less of, which is fine. Again, I get for the context, right? We reward meaningful takedowns. What did you do with the takedown? However, if you're controlling, passing, and going for submission attempts, like you know, I know a lot of Rogan's commentary doesn't it gets under fire a lot or doesn't age well, but like I agree with him with a tough shit. You know, I know this ref stand up wasn't at play here, but it's like tough shit. You got to fight out of that. Tough shit. You're getting dominated right now. Um, and it should count for something, but it doesn't. You know, it doesn't unless you submit them. And if you're okay with that, okay, you know, what's wrong with that? Or you shouldn't get it. Unless you submit it, you shouldn't get it. Okay, then, then you should be okay with this hypothetical. Not only are all these metrics of striking, right, that I just laid out that you get in, in the MMA world, but you get to punch, you get to elbow, you get to knee, right? You get to punt, kick with your foot. You get to kick with your shin. Um, you get to hit with your forearm. You get to hit with your shoulder. You get to hit with all these things, right? And again, do all these different variations of damage. You can rock them. You can stumble them. You can knock them down. You can make them bleed. We can count the total strikes. We count okay, what if I told you all those things are still in play? But you get no credit for any of those things, no matter how many of them you land, if you don't finish the person. So you can spend four minutes of the round elbowing someone all to hell, but you didn't finish him. 
so you're not gonna get uh, so you're not gonna you're, you're not gonna get anything. Oh well, there's no well that's damage. You're doing damage. I'm like obviously that's the obvious counter to my hypothetical. That but but the point of the hypothetical a is to show how stupid and hypocritical it is. That's the whole point. I'm not arguing the result. Let's just all fucking can we at least agree that the fucking sky is blue here? That, 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 that you get no fucking credit for grappling in this game. Um, but yes, damage will be the ultimate counter. But I would counter that by saying. Um, okay, yeah, Caitlin Vieira wasn't doing damage, but when you're dominating and controlling to that effect and you're making someone defend submissions, um, they can't do damage. So damage is taken off the table. So now we're looking at control and control with intent on finishing. And that was Caitlin Vieira for the majority of the round. So, yeah, if you're, uh, you know, uh, sorry to go ham on that. <laughs> I, I, I'm trying to, I wish I didn't bet this fight because I would be, I promise you, Promise you, my mother. I will be just as passionate about this. This is something I talk about all the time. Like when Mike Wigglejohn brings up a stupid fucking counter to why does everybody don't like my my knee tape kick, huh? You know, uh, you guys are okay with leg locks. Like you stupid motherfucker. You know how much skill and sacrifice a leg lock takes. You actually get to get, you take someone down, get control, trick them into the position, or fucking kamikaze yourself in a game that not just rewards strikers but you're going to put you at the very end of fucking strikes like they love to point out in commentary when a fighter goes for leg locks like whereas you sacrifice and have to give nothing athletically or as a fighter to kick someone in the fucking knees it is the most bitch ass shit it is the biggest it is the biggest trick we used to use in taekwondo when 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 kids would come in because you want to give them a test but you also want to make them give them something they can conquer easy, right? You know, okay. If you wanna you wanna play with the big boys, you got to be able to do one thing, and that one thing you had to you know make make them do was throw a front kick. You had to be able to chamber, bring your knee up, extend for the kick, rechamber, set your foot down. Super basic, and that it, it was so. But it was so easy that everybody could fucking do it. You know, what mechanics are real similar, folks. A fucking bullshit oblique or whatever the fuck they want to call that kick that's why i hate that fuck these fucking arguments that's why i get really passionate about that it's because people just don't understand the context of grappling oh striking flashy striking stuff damage red blood big 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 and that's that's great you know so i think there's just a lot of overcorrecting of the steering wheel going on um with this and as per usual grappling just getting shit on and <laughs> proven to be fake so Congrats to Yana, and apologies for anybody who followed me off the Caitlin Cliff, uh, and apologies for that long rant, but it, just, it needed to be said. Derek Minner defeated Charles Rosa. Man, fighting against type, um, you know, and uh, I ended up parlaying Charles Rosa because I said I was going to leave him open in the last podcast, and I ended up parlaying him with um, Drakkar Close, and then, of course, Drakkar Close fight gets canceled, and a lot of these betting sites just locked me into a straight play for Charles Rosa. So I was like, great, this makes no sense. And then, of course, Derek Minner comes out and fights against Tite. But props to him, though, and props to um, James Krause and that team. Um, so good on them. Uh, Chris Dawkins defeats Alexei Olenek. Yeah, that was that went kind of how um, I saw. Uh, Phil Hoggs defeated uh, Nasruddin Imavov. Again, if you are, and, and again, I, I had no issue with the score, but if you're just someone who's just standing so hard and so confident and so, so sure of yourself in the score in MMA, which is crazy <laughs> to be so sure of anything, then you should be up in fucking arms over Phil Hawes defeating Nasruddin Imamov. Uh, like I said, because again, I tweeted live, um, I wouldn't have had issue with Imamov winning. He actually like had more sustained moments of success. Uh, more clearly landed strikes um, in space that had Hawes rocked and had his, you know, uh, ha was in jeopardy of actually winning the, you know, of, of having the favorite lose the fight, which I was on the favorite, by the way, and I wouldn't have been mad uh, if Mamov winning, you know, again, to show my, where my bias was, but also to show that, hey, man, I can, I can fucking still tell you what color the sky is with my bias aside. Um, that being said, I'm glad that the, the judges saw it for Haas, obviously, because that's who I was on. But again, for the same for the same argument as as Kunitskaya Vieira, um, it could have gone that way too. Tom Aspinall defeats Andre Orlovsky. Um, 
man, the heavyweight chalk was cashing. Um, I can't even talk shit, man, because uh, I was, you know, I picked these fights to happen this way too as well. And uh, even though, you know, I just begrudgingly root against those picks because, you know, Dan Tom loves the veterans and I love seeing the veterans come through. Um, but despite that, despite heavyweight chalk being a dangerous thing, man, if you if you picked your spots uh, on it, you know, shout out to my man Dan and the others, you uh, you hit those right on, man. And Aspinall uh, got people excited for good reason. Uh, Frank, me, or Danny Brenner look alike. So uh, tough to see these old guys go down, but congrats if uh, y'all are on the winning side of those ones. Jared Gordon defeated uh, Chavez. Uh, Daniel Chavez. Um, again, this is one where I guess the wrestling and the and the analysis paid off, uh, both on the scorecards and as otherwise. Again, thought Jared Gordon was going to wrestle. He did a bit, but uh, yeah, the weight miss kind of taints it. And uh, feel for Chavez, that guy goes out. You know, he fights for your money, man. I know a lot of uh, you know people were on him because the line flipped, obviously. So um, yeah, nothing but sympathies there. No. Don't don't even you know I, I I did cash on the other side but uh but man yeah it's always hard to, to feel good guy guy misses weight and I'm a, I'm a Gordon fan by the way so I'm not shitting on the guy it's just you know gotta make that weight John Castaneda defeated Eddie Wineland um maybe I wish I was more confident on it I picked Castaneda but yeah um I played it but maybe I should have been more confident on it too I don't know uh but Julian Arosa defeated Nate Landwehr uh, but a lot of people I respect around Nate Landwehr so again. No victory lap in there, and definitely had me worried going into it. I mean, it was going to be a crazy fight, you know. It was one that I said on Lime Moon MMA show, you take the dog or just really you should probably just stay away. I ended up taking the dog because he ended up lining up with my pick, which was Juicy J. And in my defense, even though I said the head kick was more alive, um, I did say the dipping and slipping is what gets Lamware in trouble, so he eats another knee again. Casey O'Neill got everybody excited. Um... Actually, Matt Sarah on this week's podcast defeated Shayna Dobson. Uh, even though um, <laughs> Matt Sarah wasn't as focused on the jujitsu as I'd like him to be because he was very excited about this matchup, I do love that they had Ronnie Cheng on. That was great. One of my favorite Asian comedians. And he was, yeah, he was just was, uh, he's great, man. And that was really freaking cool. I hope he does more stuff. And, um, and yeah, he's, he's, his specials on Netflix. Um, hey, man. Zahabi defeated uh, Draco Rodriguez. Oh, I was wrong on this one, and happy to be wrong. Um, although, you know, shots to Zach Makovsky tried to warn me from the fight site, and um, Eamon was a good sport about, like, some quote-tweet joke I made about him and Faraz being the same, so nothing but good cats over there, so, like, you root for those guys. Um, and this one, was, I got a lot of messages, too, I think, like, all oh, people in the know. Da 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 da, but dude, the guy has fought like once in three years, and we're not in the know, so we have no idea, you know. And even guys that we do have inside scoops on that I do, you know, sometimes they'll go out there and not even fight like how they fight in the gym, you know. You've seen that, you've heard that here on this podcast, you know what I'm saying? So it's give and take, man. Sometimes you're like, oh, I wish I had that information. Oh, I wish I had it, but then there's times where I had inside information and it didn't do me well, right? So. Uh, it's give and take there. I'm happy for Zahabi, though. I'm happy he got the bonus and a new contract. Sergey Spivak defeated Jared. I hated this pick. As soon as I got off the podcast, I realized that, you know me, I'm usually good at like Instagram and checking these things, and I didn't realize Spivak was trading at Extreme Couture, and he had all the magma. Shout out to the MMA Analysis Podcast. He had all the magma going through his veins, and Vandera just goes out there, throws a really slow head kick, and he's like, I'm not feeling this. And I think he even said that in his corner, and I'm like, yeah, this is it's only a matter of time. And at least Bivak got him out of there to make us uh, not have to sit back through that. All right, sorry for that long. Most of that was all the the uh, rant for um, freaking Vieira Kunitskaya, but there was a lot of points that needed to be covered. And, um, again, watch for it. There's a lot of overcorrecting out there on how we're scoring things, which is good. I, I, I would rather move toward the damage side of things, but... Let's not overcrick the steering wheel. Let's not just pretend to be so assured in this fucking crazy game and these damn judges that cost these fighters their paychecks, eh? Um, all right. Uh, UFC Vegas 20. 34. I'm going to blow through this pretty fast. My main event breakdown is on MMAJunkie.com, as per usual. Uh, first time writing up these guys, which is always nice. You get nice, fresh takes there. Uh, Cyril gone, minus 265. He opened at minus 300. Whereas, you know, Rosenstrach, Rosenstrach, Michael, have you seen Rosenstrach? 
sorry, <laughs> my running theme, which I piss off uh, my Jewish co-host when I come on here, where I anoint fighters to be Jewish who aren't Jewish, whether it's uh, Ellenberger or Rosenstruck, you know. That's what I do. Hopefully, you guys know I love my Jewish brothers and sisters, by the way. So, tongue-in-cheek, folks, tongue-in-cheek. Rosenstruck, of course, is from Suriname, and he fights out of South Florida, plus 225 dog. I don't like the dog as much this week, folks. That not saying he's not going to be live, because Rosenstruck has himself some Derek Lewis action, too. He likes to counter. He stays calm and compact when he's taken down, even though he does have a suspect ground game, but he seems kind of hard to stop deceptively because he does stay calm and compact. And we'll do not a polished up version, but yes, a similar tripod style getup, as you don't have to worry as many back takers at heavyweight. However, the athletic and agile gone, he'll still need to be careful in transition gone. And he can hit head and arm chokes, leg locks, he moves very well. As we see on the feet, um, he does keep a bit of low hands, he plays a bit fast and loose. But man, is his everything from his proprioception to the perception of the punches coming at him. Very eyes on, good eyes on him. Slips very well. Uh, the small cage was a bit worried about it, although he was doing a lot of the pressuring. It seems to make him initiate more. Uh, hence the small cage making initiate more action. But you do initiating. Shout out to Danny Martin is an important thing in MMA. And if you can initiate like he was able to do, and I know he, you know both these guys' last fight was in the apex against an aging Junior Dos Santos, granted, but still, uh, got to give respect to the. To, to the uh, to, to the, the ex-champ, right? Um, he can still, you know, power's the last thing to go, and he can still swing them, bo- uh, you know, them fists. And uh, I liked Gone what he was uh, doing as far as slipping his eyes on the strikes and still being able to keep some pressure on. Uh, that being said, he was able to get hit from a check left hook by Junior. He, he shook it off, got back on the clock. He seems to have a good chin. That being said, that is the money punch from Ro- Rosenstruck is that check left hook. Uh, I know he'll prop with the jabs. He'll counter with the inside leg kicks and and, and poke with those as well, right, Uh, to counter jabs coming at him. But it's that check left hook he never leaves home without. Um, His footwork's good in the sense that, like, he keeps himself under him, but he gets back to the fence easily, nor does he corral to the fence as much as I'd I'd like or you'd like to see if you're a Rosenstruck supporter because that's when he lets go with the rear side and when he gets people corralled. Um... You're going to want to hope he implements more of that whilst still keeping his counters at the ready. However, I do feel like either way it's going to be forced to the clinch. Um, Except for when Overeem was really tired slash looking like he didn't want to keep the clinch. Rosenstrike was only able to break away two times. Uh, Outside of that, literally whether JDS, aforementioned Reem, or others, whenever anyone wanted to push him to the fence, they were able to do it. And they were able to do it relatively without getting punished, even if they were to get finished kind of later. This biggie boy weighs in on the scale now. So heavyweights always weigh in late. They're just kind of on their own time, aren't they? I don't know what he's weighing in, but yeah. Anyways, um, but yeah, so that could be live, but I think it's going to force the clinch. Um, and Gon's Gon, really good in the clinch, man. He does stuff that Overeem wasn't doing against Rosenstruck that Overeem usually does, which is... Diligent risk controls helps you keep tabs on your opponent's intentions, where they're going, what they want to do, as well as allows you that nice leverage point to flip the elbow up and over the top of the shoulder in a nice slicing motion. So, um, yeah, I think we're going to see a lot of that. Some surprise takedowns could be possible from there. Foot sweeps to, you know, even gone. I've seen him hit reactionary shots in the open, so don't even count him out in that space. But from the clinch, um, I'm going to think he gets a submission by the middle rounds but I would not be surprised to see this fight go to the distance I'm not going to touch the totals because as you know I've been getting burnt on the totals that was another thing I went heavy on the chalk um, as far as uh, the over which didn't hit um, which was fine because you know if you were on a Lewis or a sprinkling on Lewis like I did but it also didn't allow me to maximize my profits because all my other chalk chasing because of the lockups prior so yeah be careful doing that that's why I'm not doing any parlay pieces or recommending any, nor am I doing any totals I'm going to pick on. And this is just a sit back, wait, and see, because you're going to get some useful information on both guys in this fight. Next fight, Dagestani Stipe, uh, Magomed Ankalaev, minus 370, Nikita Krylov, plus 310. Uh, taking Ankalaev here, um, Krylov, he's shown a fight against type recently, finally going to decisions, both in winning and losing. However, um, 
even as improved as his wrestling shot is, I don't think it's going to do him very well. I think that uh, Ankalaev is going to bring about um, the aggression in Krylov if Krylov tries to pocket it, which I don't think he will. So it's going to be about Ankalaev surviving the storm. I think he does, and I think he gets a finish early. Uh, I'm on the under here, which I think is at plus money, which is kind of surprising to me, but I'm scared of total, so I don't know if I want to play it. Although, if you're on Uncle Live or looking for a plus money angle or hedge, if you will, from an Uncle Live parlay, if you're using him as a parlay piece, then yeah, maybe you sprinkle a bit on that under in case Krilov comes up large, or you double dip because I think Uncle Live finishes it within the first round via grounded pound. The guy's got ridiculous power in his hands, even though he's a Greco-Roman champ and a master of sport in Sambo and amateur MMA champion. Um, he moves really well, shifts his stance, uh, can fight primarily from Southpaw, where Krylov is 1-1 one one against Southpaws, losing to Sirkinov, beating Harris back in the day. Um, but I think he ends up on top of him, and if you've watched Magomed Ankalaev in Russian Regional, he's got some really scary ground and pound, so long as he's not letting the Paul Craigs of the world uh, back into fights. Next fight, Myra Bueno Silva, Shitara, uh, minus 140, Montana De La Rosa plus 120. Um, I'm surprised this line isn't a bit higher. So I played Buena Silva when she was minus 135. I wrote her up mi minus 140 because you're still beating the line. She opened at... Oh, no, yeah, she opened at minus 145. So you're still beating the line technically there. Um, but I, I played her at minus 135. Not super confident. I know Brazilian, uh, Brazilian, Brazilian broad. No offense to the ladies out there. Uh, but, uh, and I'm going to get burnt by a Brazilian broad again. Doesn't he ever learn? Um, yeah, I know. This is my one chalk play. I know. I know. Flag, flag, flag. But I really like Mara Rabena Silva. Um, she's only technically a purple belt, but she's an arm collector, man. She's got some, you go, go look at her Instagram. There's a nice little artwork about it. And some of those are black belts. Um, some of those are UFC level black belts. A lot of those are UFC level fighters that she's took in the arms of, by the way. Uh, so Montana De La Rosa is a black belt, but even though she's the better wrestler on paper, shouts to Montana De La Rosa wrestling with her little girl. That's the fucking cutest thing. I, oh, I love me some Montana De La Rosa. Not the creepy way, guys. She's a mom. Relax. I, I actually dig the mom energy. Like that's that's a good mom right there. So nothing against her in the spot, um, but I just feel like she's gonna have to lean on that wrestling. And fight the perfect fight. And Buena Silva has improving on her wrestling. She's not just the jiu-jitsu threat who's really dangerous for a purple belt who also has the marching Muay Thai. Um, who does that sound familiar? If that sounds familiar, it's because someone from her camp, Diego Lima Shootbox, not um, Diego Lima, Douglas Lima's brother, talking about like the shootbox in Brazil. Uh, that's right. She trains under Charles Oliveira, who gave her that purple belt, by the way. She's a Chucky Olives protege, folks. Um, which explains why, like Chucky Olives, the wrestling was coming along late, but there has been signs of growth. She's still very young, so I'm going to leave room to be surprised for Shitara there, and if she does get taken down, um, she will go for submissions, and if those fail, she will get up to her feet off of those. She's really good at the arm bars, and when the arm bar fails, you know, she's good about not giving her back, uh, back up uh, in that spot, unlike like Michelle Watterson, who always goes for the arm bar and then gives her back from it, right? Um... But yeah, like, uh, anyways, uh, so I like, I, I don't know, I like Buena Silva here. Also, Montana De La Rosa, she's training at Factory X, which I like, and she's shown some improvements there, so you should leave some room for her to be surprised here. Like, I'm not saying you need to follow me off the cliff. These are both playable points of entry. Uh, however, I will say Montana De La Rosa's also had a boxing-centric style and stance. I'm not sure how much that's going to change. In fact, another fighter we'll talk about here who also recently... And the same time, moved to Factory X, and I like Factory X, by the way. Um, they showed they they won't change that necessarily. And against a fighter who throws heavy right hands and leg kicks, not just leg kicks, but Mara Bonasova showing to go to the calf. Um, and we've seen De La Rosa eat those. Yeah, I, I don't like that. I don't like that. The leg kicks and the knees and the jiu-jitsu and the aggression. And if you just look at it too, not to you play that game where you pick apart someone's resume, but... There's a clear fault line in who Montana De La Rosa beats. And uh, if you're as athletic or more athletic than her, or as athletic and as skilled and anywhere above, those there's a general clear of those names winning, not to pick on her. 
I believe Mario Benasilva fits that bill. We will find out. I'm willing to pay at minus 135, minus 140. I don't blame you either. I don't blame you for not following me off the cliff. Um, but uh, I picked uh, Myra Buena Silva to roll. She made weight, and uh, Shitara. Um, <laughs> Shitara seems like a perfect nickname for her, by the way. Uh, looks looks strong. All right, Jimmy Rivera minus one fifty. Pedro Munoz plus one thirty. I've already broken this fight down. I pick Jimmy Rivera and cashed on him at Dog Odds back at UFC Fight Nine Seventy Seven. Uh, I like him here. Uh, I probably wouldn't pay minus 150. I'll pay anything under if it goes under. I'll probably dip because everything is just dropping like flies. That being said, you know, Munoz has definitely uh, improved since then. Improved more, you could say. But stylistically, the fire hydrant or the hand truck. Shout out to Ben Cohn from the fight site. Um, Jimmy Rivera. I just think the speed, boxing, um, ring management, despite him be, you know, fighting a lot off the back foot too as well, uh, as he probably will in this fight again counter hooks um yeah I, I like rivera here um angela hill minus 370 ashley yoder hill opened at like a minus 180 and now has been inflated which makes sense um to listen to an interview with her on espn recently i like where her head's at i think she should win in the rematch as well yoder will probably have like those few scary moments and then um angela hill will pull away but they both look in great shape, uh, so we'll see. Um, uh, Yoder. Yoder looks great on the scale today, too. Oh, my goodness. All right, easy, Dan. Easy. Stay on target. Stay on target. Now, let me some Angie Hill, too. Don't even get it twisted. You know what? Let me some Angie Hill. All right, Dan. I'm taking Angie Hill here, though. And, uh, yeah, that's that. That is that. Caceres, baby, back. Uh, so I don't know. Uh, my pick might list for Kevin Kroom plus one seventy five. Alex Caceres minus two ten on MMA Junkie staff picks. I changed it in the middle of the night last night. Uh, I actually came to this conclusion earlier in the week. I just forgot to change it because we have to give our picks early and do like the whole damn card. So it's hard, and the only way for me to not stress myself because I know I have to actually like talk or write up these picks, and something could be. You know, jolted last minute to the main card, and then there's a pick that, you know, if I didn't care to change it, people are going to follow me off that cliff, right? Especially like a popular underdog this week, like Kevin Kroom, who's been bet down over a dollar now. <coughs> and I initially was going to look on that train. He's got momentum. Did the James Krause juju. Holy crap, right? Um, I like his media day. Absolutely behind that message, right? Fuck yeah. Love me some Kevin Kroom. Rooting for him here, but... As I sip my coffee. But the speed and skill differential is going to be way too crazy, in my opinion. Um, and Caceres looked good. And it's like it's hard to see where Caceres is training, you know. But that's always the case. He's always kind of a, a weirdo on social media. And I don't blame him, right, for being distant or despondent on there. So you don't know where he's at. But he looks in shape coming in. Um, and if anything, he's been improving his wrestling, of all things. It's been showing. And he's been noting it in his interviews, right? Um, plus his striking that's kind of always there and can be savant-like when he really turns it on, right? Um, and his opportunistic submissions, like, yeah, man, I'm like small cage and what do you call it? What you call it? Uh, Kroom likes to grind, but, like, he's a he's a slow starter, Kroom, for one. Like, he did, you know, did well against the Southpaw in his fight before his UFC fight against Roosevelt Roberts, but it took him to, like, the end of the third round for him to find his jab against the Southpaw. You know what I'm saying? And that guy wasn't as talented as Alex Caceres, right? So I don't like that. And from his earlier fights to even that fight, the more relevant fights, um, he shoots when his corner wants him to, but he also shoots when his corner doesn't want him to because he's just so spastic, and that's good. You want a grindy guy like that against Caceres, but the problem was he doesn't run it through his shots. He cheats his shots as Daniel Cormier. He enters and then kind of is lazy. He ends up on his knees and kind of just, you know, has to shuffle. And he, he likes to work toward the back. So, you know, he'll kind of pass it off slash attempt to parlay it into a shuck, shuck by and go behind. Um, but it's it's really bad, you know. And I'm not one to critique wrestling, but I got to be critical here. It's my job, right? So... Um, yeah, I don't like that. Against a guy like Caceres, who even Caceres is wrestling as suspect as it could have been in parts, like, I still would have felt good about it then. Much less the mature Caceres at 145, who is looking like he's really got that late veteran thing going on now. So, um, I actually like Alex Caceres here. 
I wouldn't play him for a two to one, but he is the pick. Uh, I'm not sure if um, Matt E at Junkie got my message to change it. So if you see it for Kroom, please do not be mistaken. I'm I'm I am picking Caceres here. Uh, next fight: Alexander Hernandez minus two twenty five. Tiago Moises plus one eighty five. Man, speaking of you know parlay pieces that fail me, a guy is doing everything technical like I say, but then you know other dude just does athletic moments and wins the round. That was Tiago Moises versus Bobby Green, and Tiago Moises earned a spot up there with Askar Askarov with guys I'm looking to fade who I just wasn't quite sold on. That being said, you gotta a you gotta give credit where credit's due. Tiago Moises did show an improved version of him in that Bobby Green fight, regardless of what you think of the score. And I actually. Um, was inspired. I wasn't crying over spilt milk the night of, believe it or not, and uh, I feel even less worse about it rewatching for whatever that's worth. Not that I care to relitigate it, um, but B, not just Moises' improvements, but man, I hate to say it. I hate to say it. Not only is he the attractive dog, like based off like the the rest of the room, you know, being filled with you know ones. So like the you know the four the five looks like a ten. I'm not talking about that kind of bias, folks. Um, like I'm talking about like. Looking at the line and genuinely being surprised, I thought Tiago Moises was going to be like opened as a slight favorite, or this would be a pick'em fight, much less Alex Hernandez opened as the slight favorite and then inflated to well above a moderate favorite, right? Or well within moderate range, two to one, North. I like Alexander Hernandez. You guys know I like Alexander Hernandez. I've supported him against other black belts like uh, OAM dudes. I he specked. Um, and if cashed, right? Um, believe me, I, 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 no hate toward Alex Hernandez. However, I don't know if I like this matchup. He was able to grind against OAM better than most people thought. With even though he doesn't have a strong wrestling background, Hernandez can wrestle. He can grapple. He's a brown belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And even though OAM is a black belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, he is a black belt in Judo first, I believe, and is more of a credentialed Judo fighter. I also believe. Um, and although obviously OAM can fight from his back, folks, don't get it twisted, but he's mainly a top guy, a back taker. Those are his specialties. I think that's fair. Um, so grinding into a guy like that, he wasn't known for his guillotine or leg locks like Tiago Moises, who is a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt, who is known for those things and is credentialed in and out of the gi, right? I'm not a big IBJJF fan, but the guy, you know, he's... He's won in and out of the gi there. He's put in his dues, and he shows that he's got the opportunistic subs. He doesn't just have that position game, right? Um, so it's a different threat there. Secondly, on the feet, um, if Alexander Hernandez, I know he got criticized for like doing his TJ Dillashaw impression. I actually like it because he seems to do pretty well when he fights from Southpaw. That's when he knocked out Benil Daryush. And Tiago Moises, the reason why I was confident in picking against him with Bobby Green, who fights a lot from Southpaw when he faces grapplers, is because Moises had trouble with southpaws, whether it was early on with Robert Watley or Jason Knight, who fought from southpaw more early in his career, um, etc. Uh, what do you call it? Michael Johnson was piecing him up until Michael Johnson did Michael Johnson things um, and gave away the submission, right? Um, but you look at the factory back to the Factory X thing, and I love Factory X. This isn't me throwing shade on him by any chance, but like. Since he moved to Factory X, you look at his last fight, Hernandez went strictly orthodox, and now he really sits in this stance, weight heavily forward, leaning his head heavily forward. And I look at his pad work leading up to the fight, and it's exactly what it looks like he's going to be doing for this fight. And for as much as I criticize Thiago Moises' volume, what does he throw hard and what does he throw really good? Enough to win him rounds against guys like Bobby Green? It's leg and calf kicks, again, American top team, and right hands. The guy will wing the shit out of his right hands. And it's super basic shit that doesn't impress guys like me, but it fucking works. It scores. And that stance is really going to play right into those two things, the two things that Moises does. Um, Moises also has never been stopped or submitted, whereas Hernandez, you know, can't have a suspect gas tank, right? Um, so it's not a guy that's going to like make Moises gas out or make him necessarily pay for his low volume. Moises, I believe, is going to have to survive a first-round storm or find an opportunistic finish in the first-round storm. Otherwise, uh, Moises you know, will find a, w a way to win in round two or take it to round three, the scorecards if need be. Um, I'm going to kick for coverage. I played Moises at 165. I thought it was going to get tighter. It's only growing bigger, so... I didn't get a great line. You can get a better one if you want to follow me off that cliff. Um, Kermaga Madoff Oliveira just got canceled. I did pick Kermaga Madoff, and I wasn't going to play until he got to a dog. But even then, I don't even know if I would have played against Alex Oliveira in that spot. 
not that it matters. Sabina Matzo, minus 210. Alexis Davis, plus 175. Feels like a trap swipe, but you know I like Sabina. You know I like Sabina Matzo. Dan, stay on target. Oh, that Colombian kryptonite, baby. Easy, Dan. Jesus Christ. Can you just not get creepy for one Mazo fight in your life? Shout out to John John Rico. Sorry, buddy. You get creepy about your training partner. Um, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, but I, I think she's going to piece her up on the feet, uh, even though it's at 135. Clearly, Mazo was killing herself to get down to the lower weight classes. And Davis, she could be spoiler, but like she's not game over on that ground. And Mazo does work a lot on her BJJ with really... Really uh, good people, obviously. Um, and, uh, yeah, her striking on the feet, even if she doesn't get a knockout, head kick knockout, like she has been known to do. Uh, Alexis Davis does not. Again, you want to talk about people who doesn't don't show damage well in, like, a world that's not fair. Alexis Davis definitely doesn't do any favors for herself um, with the way she takes damage. So I expect Alexis Davis to have a few moments, but to ultimately really just look awful unfortunately and i like alexis davis i'm not trying to hate but just she doesn't take damage well i got mazo um ronnie lawrence minus 160 vince cachero plus 140 i am i'm gonna root for cachero here uh, i didn't do any study on this fight this is an avoid so i will skip it um dustin jacoby minus 172 maxim grishin plus 152 it was looking for an excuse to side with grishin but I submitted my pick as Jacoby early in the week, and I stuck to it. Um, and good thing, because both my analysis and the scales seem to side with Jacoby. Grishin came in over, I believe, 210 for the 205 fight. Where Jacoby's been looking in great shape. I feel like he's really coming into his own. Um, and there's no way I can come out here and not just pick, but pick against all Pat Factory X fighters, but play against all of them. So uh, I'm picking Jacoby in this spot. I can't disrespect Factory X like that. And... Um, I like the matchup because it's one that'll make Grishin fight. But Grishin's like, it's weird. He's like one of those guys where he's like Timur Valiev. Like he's Team Ahmad and he's got the sketchy background in Dagestan Team Dagba. But, you know, it really he's like, it's, you look at it, he's no master of sports, no wrestling, no amateur MMA. Maybe some amateur MMA stuff, like in regional titles, but like that's it. Like he's like went to college and has like degrees in engineering and like non fighting stuff like Timor. It's weird. But he's just really well rounded and, but likes to, prefers to fight well more off the counter. I just feel like he's going to get leg kicked to death, speaking of boxing-centric stances. He likes to throw leg kicks, and he's gotten better at throwing them, Grishin. I'm just not sold on his defense. I don't think someone that tall with that kind of style, stance, and weight distribution can defend leg kicks if he wanted to. And I think Jacoby, we saw him against that last boxer. He's going to eat the fuck out of those legs. Um, he's just going to have to be careful. And when he has to get that distance, you know, Ledette was able to hit him with a couple one-twos, so Jacoby was able to hit, get to find his distance. Because he likes to go a little fast and loose with a little bit of low hands or inside parry work. But once he finds his distance, he should be pretty good to roll. Um, Jacoby opened at minus, you know, that is a 2-1 to one favorite. So technically you're beating the line now. But it's still a little too chalky for my blood. If he gets more toward minus 150, I may play him. Um, but it's hard. It's not even like you want to play inside the distance because Grishin's only been finished three times, you know. By, like, pretty legit dudes at legit points in his career. So... Yeah, it could get sketchy. Like, you know, Grishin could be getting his grind on. He's been training at Extreme Couture, you know, um, getting that wall work in. But Jacoby doesn't, you know, aside from when he's gassed, he doesn't look out of sorts there. So, uh, again, you know, I, I still don't know wh where exactly to put Factory X as far as wall work gems, but, you know, they know what to do when they get there. So I'm going to roll with Jacoby. All right, how do we do on time for the rest? All right, just barely under an hour. All right, so recapping from the top, taking Gan over Rosenstruch, taking Dagestani Stipe Akalaev over Krelov, taking Shitara Marabuena Silva over Montana Del Rosa, taking Jimmy Rivera, thank you, God, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Brazil, uh, over Pedro Munoz, taking Angie over Kilhill over Ashley Yolehi. Oh, Jesus, Dan. You really just try to do that and crack your voice. Taking Alex Caceres over Kevin Kroom. Uh, taking uh, Tiago Moist over Alexander Hernandez. Taking uh, Mazo over Davis. Taking, I guess I'll take a chair over Lawrence, but avoid that shit. Uh, taking Jacoby over Grishin. Uh, only avoid is Lawrence uh, Gachero. 
and the only plays were straight plays. Moises, one unit at plus 165. Bad line, a little better line on Silva for Chalk, minus 135 at 1.35 unit just to get that one unit back clean exchange. We'll see how I do. I kept it light. Thank you guys for your support. Thank you for the love. Uh, again, click through banners at mixedmartialanalyst.com. PayPal's there as well if you feel so generous. Like, subscribe, share at all the places. Thanks for the shouts. Appreciate you. Good luck on your picks and plays. And until next time, protect your next.